You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. We're going to talk about what it means today to be called to become. So far in this series, Live Your Calling, we've talked about the fact that you're called to be loved. And that means simply your first calling on your life of five callings. The first calling is simply to let God love you. That you don't stiff arm him, you don't push him away, but just let God love you. His love is immense, his love is lavished on us, and he just wants to let his love reside on you. The second calling on your life is that you and I are called to belong. And belong means that you're called to belong to his forever family. That you are called to belong to a local church body where you do life together. That we celebrate the one another's of scripture. That we love and care and support and encourage one another in the local body of Christ. Then, today we're going to look at what it means to call to become. What does it mean to become? And we are going to become more like Christ. And when, I want you to think back for a moment. When you were a child, what did you want to become? Some of you can think back that far. You can remember what you wanted to become. And uh, I want you to think for a minute. What did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a little child? Okay, now my, here's my real question. How many of you have actually become that person? Or you did that thing? Yeah, a number of them in the room. Like you knew like early on, okay. But a very few number. In fact, the va- max uh, majority of us here in the room, we understand that we did not become that. We had an idea of maybe what we wanted to become. And my idea was to be the donut man because if you love sugar like I do... What's more powerful than the dude behind the counter at the donut store? Like, that's like ultimate authority, ultimate power. They can just reach in, grab any donut at any time. That was, that was my picture as a little kid of what, you know, like the most powerful thing in the world was. But we didn't become that. And aren't you glad that, you know, God would call us to do things differently? In Romans chapter 8, 28 and 29, it says this. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. God is calling you and me according to his purpose. Verse 29 says, For God foreknew those he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What does that mean? God has called you and me to become conformed into the image of his Son. What are we supposed to be? We're to become more like Jesus. That's God's point from the beginning. He did not just call you and I to salvation. That's not the end game. That's the starting point. But in that process, God has called you and me to become more like Christ. We're to be loved, we're to belong, and then we're to become like Christ. Why? God loves you too much to leave you where you are. So our first call is to be loved by God, right? Just let God love you. But understand that God loves you too much to leave you where you are right now. God wants you and I to become more and more like Christ. He wants to call us and draw us deeper and to conform into the image of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Five times in the New Testament, God compares becoming like Christ to a race. And we're going to draw eight principles from those five passages today. So if you have your outline, take that out. You're going to want to take some notes here today. And I think that God's going to write some stuff. As you write some words down, God's going to write some impressions on your heart and on your mind uh, for where he wants you to be right now. So the big question is how? How do I become what God calls me to be? How do I do that? And we're going to talk about running the marathon to maturity. What does it look like to become spiritually mature? And how do we do that? How does that actually happen in my life? To run the marathon to maturity, I must, number one, simplify my life. you got to simplify. If you've ever run a long-distance race, or you've ever run a marathon, I've not run a marathon, but I've run like 5Ks and some things like that. But if you've ever run a marathon, you got to radically shift your life. You've got to simplify some things in your life. You've got to clean some things out. In fact, sometimes as you're preparing and running, your body is cleaning itself out from the things that it needs to lose so that you can actually make it the distance of a marathon. You've got to clean out the clutter. You've got to clean out your mind. You've got to become mentally tough to make it through a, men- uh, a marathon. You've got to clean out your schedule. You've got to simplify your schedule so that you can actually train and run a marathon. You've got to Simplify your relationships. You're going to boil your relationships and your time management down to the essentials in your life. you got to get rid of any unnecessary baggage. Do you realize no one ever runs a marathon with a backpack? 
Nobody wears a backpack, right? Nobody runs a marathon with extra weights. Like, oh, I just want to do a, an extreme marathon and run with extra weights. No, you simplify, you get rid of all those things. And in the same way, when you're going to run after Jesus, you've got to unclutter your life. You say, unclutter from what? You've got to eliminate diversions in your life, the things that sidetrack you all the time. You've got to simplify and get rid of some of the time wasters in your life. Here's what I want you to do. Write down the number one time waster in your life. Be honest. It's only for your benefit. Write it down. Number one time waster in your life. Eliminate detours, distractions. We live in a distracted world, and everybody else tells us what to be distracted with. And God's saying, you got to get rid of it. I know a family in this church who said, listen, this year, as they're going through this series, it's radically shifting their life, and they actually have taken a chalkboard and put it in front of the TV at home. Right? Just got to simplify. No more news. No more stuff that's been distracting them. And they're going to focus at this certain time of the day on that time. It's for their family. And they're going through the readings together. They're, what are they doing? They're simplifying their life. They're, they're getting rid of some of the clutter. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We got to get rid of some different things. And let me highlight three for you. One of the things you're going to get rid of is you need to get rid of the weights, the weights in your life. You don't run a marathon in a parka, right? Think of the wind drag of that thing. It just wouldn't work for you. You're not going to run in a parka if you run a marathon. You're going to kind of strip down. You're just going to get into shorts, t-shirt. A lot of marathon runners don't even, you know, they just don't even wear like a shirt. They just want to get as aerodynamic as they can, and they want to have as little weight along with them as they can. And some of you in this room, you you have a great aspiration. You say, I want to raise my children to to be people of character. That's a high value for you. If I said, what's more important? To have children who love and follow Jesus and are children of character and honesty and truth or children who are great soccer players? You would say, of course, children who have character, honor, and truth. But you would look at the time you put in, you would look at the energy you put in, and sometimes you could realize, if I want to achieve that in the life of my children, then I've got to slow down some of these other things to slow down and train character, to train discipline, to bring the time and attention and care that they need. And for families, uh, I was talking with my wife this week, and we were chatting, and she said that basically it's like a pyramid, that at the beginning, what you do is you've got a pyramid, and so at the beginning, you've, this down here, if you've got young kids, you all the time, so much investment, so much work, you feel like you're saying no every time, you feel like you're taking things away every time, you feel like you're telling them to share every time, right? It's all down here, it's just constant, you feel exhausted. But as they get older, you give more and more freedoms because you've built in disciplines where they can handle that freedom. If you don't, if you're like, I'm too tired. I want them to be, be children, but I'm going to have a really busy schedule. I'm, I want that, but I just don't have the time to put it in. It's going to be like a reverse thing. That when they're young, it's kind of easy because they're young, and you're just kind of like, hey, just do whatever you want. Run around. But as they get older, all of a sudden, you are handling more and more problems and training them because why? You didn't build in a foundation upon which they would develop character. But the same thing is true of you in your life. Where are you at right now? That at first, when you begin following God, you're going to spend an immense amount of time. How do I be, am able to do that? And God's going to begin to build a firm foundation in your life. But you got to get rid of some of the weights in your life. you got to slow down so that you can begin to spend some time with God. Second thing you've got to get rid of is your sins. The word in Greek is the hamartia. It, what it means is the sins in your life. It says the sins that easily entangle. And I want you to realize that the sins that easily entangle you are going to be different than the sins that easily entangle you. That they're going to be different for different people, but you're going to have an idea. What are the sins that easily entangle me? What are the landmines that I seem to always step on? What are the things that I, I find like in my life, I was do, going along and then all of a sudden that one got me. What are those sins for you? And you might want to write down ones there. At Celebrate Recovery, we talk about making a moral inventory. And what we mean by that is you look at your life and you say, let me just get a snapshot of reality. In terms of morality, where are my sins? What are the sins that easily entangle me? And the ones that easily entangle me may not be the ones that easily entangle you. But what are they in my life? And the third one is expectations. You're going to have to simplify your life 
by the expectations. What's implied in the scripture is this. It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What's implied? It's implied that there's a specific race for Christ followers. It's implied that God has a race for you as a Christ follower to run. So we're not talking about any race. We're not talking about keeping up with society. We're not talking about everything that everybody else is doing. What we're talking about is there is a race that God has required for those who follow Christ that he has marked out for you. Paul said it this way, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There's a particular race. So part of stripping off is refusing to run other people's races. Life is always calling you to run their race. Run after this part of your career. Run after this kind of thing. Run after what everybody else has. Run after materialism. Run after fame or popularity. And everything is crying out to run that race. And part of us running after Christ is that we have to simplify. I can't let my life be what everybody else wants it to be. I've got to follow Christ. So what's holding you back from running your race? What do you need to drop? Maybe for some of you, you say, I'm too busy for God. Okay, they might, that might be a reality or that might be an issue of time management. So if you're too busy for God, then what do you need to drop? Because again, do you want to become a Christ follower, one who becomes in the image of Christ, or do you want to just go with the status quo? You want to become a person. You're going to have to drop some things. So first, that thing you do is simplify your life. Second, don't get impatient or in a hurry. Don't get impatient or in a hurry. It's a common mistake, right? For long-distance runners, the worst mistake they can make is to not pace themselves. Maybe at the beginning, they start running too fast. Now, I'm, I'm a drummer, so everything works on a metronome. It just clicks. Like, literally, if my foot is tapping, it is tapping on beat. My wife says, what are you drumming to? Because she sees my foot tapping. I don't know. And then I think about it. Oh, I'm drumming to, and I can name the song that I last heard, right? Because everything's a metronome for me. It's dead on. It's exactly right. It's not, doesn't vary. It's not weird like this. It just, just runs. That's, that's how God has wired me to operate. But you realize one thing if you're a runner. Runners learn to find their pace, and they stick to it. But what happens? Some people run too fast at first. And then they wear out, and they can't sustain it. And what happens is a person who just consistently ran their race is passing them because they burned out too quick. Champions learn how to pace themselves. If you're running too fast, at the beginning of a race, you're going to get winded, right? <sighs> and too soft, and then the, the turtle's going to pass you if you ran like the hare at the beginning. Your marathon is a race. But it's not like we think. Sometimes you think it's a sprint. I'm just going to come to know Christ, and I'm just going to sprint and get to that finish line real quick. And God says, no, 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 your race is a marathon, not a sprint. Pastor Craig Rochelle says a statement like this. He says, you will likely overestimate what God will do through you in the short run, but you will grossly underestimate what God can do in the long run through a lifetime of faithfulness. Did you catch that? If you're a young leader, if you're a young person, you think God is going to change the world through me. You say, you know what, I just can't wait to get about my college years. I can't wait to get about my career. I can't wait to change these issues in the world. And you think immediately, if I get involved and I love it with all my heart, then I'm gonna, you're gonna, what you're going to do is you're going to overestimate what God's going to do through you. When I first arrived here, I made a list of some different things. And I thought in my mind, I literally thought, that'll take us three years. We'll get to that point in three years. You know what it's taken? Eight years. It's taken eight years. It's just longer. God's saying, no, there's part of like a, there's a foundation lane. There's a people development part. There's a building the team around you. There's, there's this process that happens, and you pace yourself. But if you're a young person, let me just, again, just encourage you. Don't overestimate the short run. Because you're, by nature, going to have no idea how great God's work will be in and through your life in the long run. Some of you right now, you're parents, and you're like, I just can't wait to get the kids out of the house. In fact, I feel like I'm, I'm raising kids, but I, I feel like, you know, I should be doing, and you come up with these great things for God, and God's saying, no, no, time out. The greatest ministry you have right now could potentially be the children you're raising. And you're running after a cause, you're running after something that looks, looks more prestigious or looks more prominent, 
But God's calling you to literally be where you are because you are in formation. You are being formed. God is working character in you. Champions know how to pace themselves and how to lay a strong foundation. Hebrews 12.1b, that second part of the verse says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There's no instant maturity. There's no magic pill. It takes time. Do you want to be a mushroom or you want to be an oak tree? A mushroom takes six hours to grow. An oak tree takes 60 years to grow. Which is going to stand through the seasons? Which is going to stand through the storms of life? God is never in a hurry. He wants you to grow, and he wants you to grow consistently. So what do you want to be? You want to be like an oak tree, right? You want to be solid. You want to be secure. You want your life to be deeply rooted, to be strong and stable, secure, so that when the rough winds of life come along, that you don't just blow over. That you're just not dried up and shriveled out and that you go to the side and you made a great start. It looked so impressive. But you didn't have a foundation to endure the storms of life. And God is saying, I want to make you become like Christ. I want you to be as solid as an oak tree. Well, how do you spell maturity? Here's how you spell it. T-I-M-E. It's the same way you can spell love, right? How do you spell love? T-I-M-E. Maturity is the same way because God loves you. We just let God love us. And we belong to his family. And God says, in that time of my love, of, of my encouragement, of my building you up, I'm going to help you become more and more like Christ. Becoming implies progression. Right? It implies that there's a little progression, a little bit at a time. And what I want you to know is that each week when you're here, oftentimes in the decision time, I'm giving you little baby steps each week that are taking you in a progression so that over the course of a year, you're saying, my mind is shifting. My heart is engaging the culture in different ways. My life is laying a foundation that's, that's stronger, and God is taking me in a direction. Do you realize that we pick series here? Some of them are encouraged to fire up the church. We want to fire you up. Other ones are we want to build you up. Other ones are we want to convict you and, and challenge the church and really cause you to go deeper. And other ones we want to encourage the church. And we specifically decide what are we going to do. After we're done with this series and we get through Easter, what we're going to do is we're going to go through the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to go straight through that book, verse by verse. And over those weeks of that series, we are going to take time to really build up the church Right now we're encouraging the church. We're helping you identify your purpose. But now we want to build on that as we go out of Easter. That's our next step in progression. It's why it's important for you to be here every week. Because in a given year, there's a progression. You're making a decision on one Sunday. But God's making a progression over the course of a year. Don't miss the steps. God wants to do that kind of thing in your life. But it's not just what you do on the weekends. Far stronger is what you do every day. So number three on your outline, spend time focusing on Jesus every day. Spend time focusing on Jesus every day. You ever notice how you become like the people that you spend time with? You get the same mannerisms. You start using the same words. Uh, maybe you're listening to somebody and you start to reflect their same body language. Like you stand in the same posture or if you're si seated, you kind of lean forward if they lean forward or you lean back if they lean back. Do you ever notice how you become like the people that you spend the most time with? Well, Hebrews 12.2 tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You cannot become without spending time with Jesus. You can be loved by God, you can belong to the church, but you cannot become more and more in the image of Christ unless you spend time with Jesus. Don't underestimate the special sauce or the special secret of God's Holy Spirit in your life. When you begin to spend time with God, God's Holy Spirit quickens you to listen to God. He opens up the word so that you understand what you're reading. He begins to do it, but it takes time. 
And God's going to do that. He's given you, if you've said yes to Jesus, he's given you that deposit of his Holy Spirit on the inside, and he's going to begin to teach you. He will be your teacher when you're alone. Will you ask him when you spend time alone with him? Well, let me give you some tips. Some people are like, I don't know how to spend time with God. Like, what do you do? And some people are like, well, you just read the Bible and you pray. But let me just give you some tips, okay? Here's what you would do. Pick a spot and make that spot a special or a sacred place. Maybe for you, it's, it's sitting on your bed in your bedroom. Maybe for you, it's a special chair in your house or in your apartment. Uh, maybe for you, it's, it's that time that you say, this commute to work is sacred space. And it's time for me and God and nobody else. It's, it's the two of us at this time. And the best time, I think, this is me personally, is in the morning. So what do you do? You get up, you go find your spot, you sit down, and you spend some time with God. You begin reading God's word. You read it for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. You spend time in God's word, and then you talk to him. And when you talk to him, you just say, God, here's my schedule for the day. God, here's what's going on that I'm stressed about right now. God, I feel so much pressure about this or that or the other thing. Or God, I'm so worried about these. Or these things are heavy on my heart. I even just woke up feeling about all these things. And you begin to just lay those things out, and you say, God, I need your help. And then you spend some time being quiet, and let God just talk to you. And you might be sitting there waiting for an audible voice. But let me tell you what, if God made sound waves, and God made radio waves, and God made microwaves, I don't know if he did, but he made the, you know, he made the actual microwaves, not the one that's in your house, but God made all that stuff, he has no problem talking to your heart. He has no problem talking to your soul, talking to the impressions on the inside. His Holy Spirit still speaks. And God has no problem with that. But the reason that you wonder, why doesn't God talk to me when I'm alone, is sometimes you haven't been quiet long enough. You've got like the radio on. You've got the internet going on in your pocket or in your head or in your computer or whatever, right? And you just haven't slowed down and it's time for you to say, listen, God, I want to listen to you. And sometimes he'll just give you that inspiration in your heart. Right now, everything's fine. Go on with your day. You're good. You're good. Other times God's going to say, listen, I want you to throw off this sin that easily entangles you. Other times he's going to say, I just want you to know how much I love you. That's all you need to hear today. That's it. But he's going to begin to speak through his word and through his impression in your heart, in your conscience, what he wants in your life. And you talk to him and be honest with him. Listen, if the devil gives you, an insp- if the devil gives you a thought, that's a temptation. If God gives you a thought, that's inspiration. If you get a thought, that's a miracle. Right? I'm just kidding. But God wants to inspire. If you go alone in your time with God and all you feel or all you think or all you seem to hear on the inside is shame, that's not God speaking. If all you ever say to God is, God, I'm so sorry, this is who I should be, but I'm not, that's not you really speaking to God. You speaking to God is so grateful for his sacrifice. You speaking to God is taking his promises of who he says you are, taking promises that you are forgiven, that you are free, that you are loved, that you belong, that he wants you to become. Those are the promises we hold to and we champion the doubts and the fears and the shame in our lives with. Luke twenty two thirty nine 39 says this. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. As usual, he went out. He went out to where was his special place. When he was in the region of Jerusalem, his special place was to go across the valley into the garden area which was on the Mount of Olives. It was a quiet place. It was just, he was in the city, but it's just far enough away outside the city to get away to be away and then come back in the city. Where's your special place going to be? Listen, the more that you spend time with God, the more you will change. Why? I mean, Moses in the Old Testament, he spent time with God, went up on the mountain, spent time with God. When he came back down, he was glowing. Okay, he was actually glowing. People were freaked out because he came down glowing. He was carrying the Ten Commandments as he came back down, and he was glowing. He realized just how, how corrupt these Hebrew people had just become. They had just recently received freedom out in the desert of 
Egypt and where they were slaves and they came out and he's like, I'm going to go on the mountain and talk to God. He was gone just a couple days and while he's gone, they've already formed a golden calf. They're bowing down and worshiping to him. It's like a teenager getting out of the house, having their first chance of freedom where formerly they felt like a slave. And they have the first chance of freedom and they go to college and they go, ah, and they try all this stuff that's really bad for them. Well, Moses shows up at the dorm room, right? Okay, the Ten Commandments. He's like, what is going on? He gets mad. He throws them down. I'm not paying for this. Is what, you know, whatever. He goes back up on the mountain with God. If you watch through scripture, you will watch the progression of the people of God like newborns, infants, teenagers. And in the New Testament, you watch us now becoming priests of the Most High God and friends. There's a natural progression that happens throughout all of Scripture. Well, in those days, Moses saw them being like little teenagers and just instantly just going off to the things that all the other cultures did, worshiping false gods. And he worked with them for 40 years to turn them back to follow the true and living God. When you spend time with God, you're going to be changed. So in 2 Corinthians, Paul alluding to this story about Moses that all the people would know, he's saying this about New Testament believers. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, listen, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What's happening? When we spend time with Jesus, we are progressing. We are being transformed. We are being changed. You were an inchworm, and God is in the process of putting you in a cocoon for a season, and you're going to become a butterfly, but it's going to take a season. It's going to take some time, and it's going to take regular time of spending time in that cocoon kind of place but we reflect we reflect the lord well there's actually a biological basis for reflecting you know what it is it's called mirror neurons they're in your brain mirror neurons are in your brain and when you see somebody do something it's pretty easy for you to model it because you saw somebody else do something right you tend to respond in the same way and with the same emotion when you see somebody else do it and so if i were to I already yawn. Uh, really big. Half of you would yawn in here. You'd want to, or you'd be like, oh, oh, you'd kind of like fight the urge, right? But you do. Why? Because it affects. You just see something. It's easy to model. It's like if someone has a scratch in their throat and they're like, uh, uh, uh. how many of you help them try to clear their throat? Because it drives you nuts. Yeah, me too, right? It's just the way it works. So you'd want to do that. Why? Because of mirror neurons. So modeling someone or modeling after someone is actually a biological reality because of mirror neurons. When you spend time with God, when you focus on him, your mirror neurons begin to reflect God's love. They begin to reflect God's qualities in your life. And you tend to see things in your life and in your culture the way God sees them. If you only spend time with the news, you're going to react and reflect the news. You're going to react to it. But God wants you to spend time with him. You become more and more like him. It's ever increasing. It's showing a sequential development process. So what does it mean? It means you and I spend time with focusing with Jesus every day. And then when life gets hard, remember the reward. You start running. You start progressing. You start spending time with God. You say, God, I'm spending time with you. Life's supposed to be easier. But guess what happens? Life all of a sudden gets hard. And when life gets hard, remember the reward. Since God's goal is to make you like Jesus, more and more like Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. And you go, ooh, I don't like that word. Do you realize it's actually part of God's will that you suffer? Because it's part of the process that makes us share in the sufferings with Christ and become more and more. Few things build character like suffering, amen? We don't like it, but we would begrudgingly admit that that's true so don't be surprised problems are part of the becoming process you and i are made complete through identity we've talked about right your identity you're a son or daughter of the most high god whom he loves with whom he's well pleased then he moves you and i to formation where we're tried and we're tested and we're tempted and we fail there sometimes and we blow it and we backslide and we have trouble we started good but we stopped we got off our pace we stopped spending time with jesus and he's like mm, let me help you get back on and begin again you're not a failure your identity didn't change you just simply are in formation you're being formed and your foundation of your life is being laid so begin again maybe some of you have gotten off uh, in your where you are in the book reading live your calling what on earth am i here for 
you've gotten off of where you're supposed to be, and maybe you're not on the day that's supposed to be at the day in the reading plan. Big deal. Begin again. Here's why. God can even use our weaknesses of not being a great performer like to read every day because he knows that what you're going to read that day is actually going to match the day you read it. He wants you to begin again. God is patient with you. He's like, listen, I can help you. Just start up again. I want you to finish. I want you to progress in this formative season. For us, we'd say these 40 days. It might take some of us 60, okay? It's all right. Begin again. When life gets hard, remember the reward. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith, for the joy set before him, speaking of Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Listen, persevere, endure, stick with it. Keep running even when life gets hard. Discouragement is often a choice. That's why you need others around you to encourage you and keep you lifted up. Keep you headed in the right direction because we get off the right direction too easily on our own, don't we? Romans 8, 17 says this. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. That God's glory is future, that it is someday that we're going to have problems in this life on earth, but he promises reward in heaven. 1 Peter 5.10, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. When it gets hard, remember the reward. Next thing you want to do is, you want to gather a team to run with you. Gather a team to run with me. It's your race, right? I pursue the Lord Jesus Christ. I pursue him. I spend time with him. It's mine to do. But listen, you need others to run that same race with you. It's the same race marked out for believers in Jesus Christ. In Africa, there's that proverb that says, if you want to run fast, run by yourself. If you want to run far, run with other people. You need people in your life. That's why Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What day is that? That's the day of the Lord's return. So you and I, we need other people in our lives. So we are going to pursue God and we need other people to encourage us that until either Jesus Christ comes back for us, that day happens, and it happens, and then we're like, whoa, we're with the Lord, or until the day you go to be with him, the day that you are to die, that we are to run that race, we are to persevere, we are to go after it until that time. Our time on earth is to become more and more like Jesus. But why do we stop growing? Why do we get stuck? Why do we bench ourselves? Oftentimes because of fear or because of shame. Some people will say, I was so afraid of failing, I, I just didn't even try. Some people will listen to the lie of the enemy who just says, hey, what have you ever started? What have, how have you ever finished anything? And he doesn't want you to spend time with Jesus, so he's going to tell you that in your head. You need to capture that thought, make it obedient to Christ, and say what God begins in me, he's going to finish, he's going to do good stuff. God's in process with me on this. I need people around me. Listen, when you belong to a circle that learns to be safe, a circle that learns to encourage and love each other, and it takes time to do that, then you have the courage to start and to run and to finish. But you need people around you who will help encourage you to do that. It takes a while for a circle to become a safe place, doesn't it? Like this six weeks that you're meeting with a circle is just a kickoff, and some of you are so excited, you're like, right now, for the first time, I'm just tasting what this could look like to have community, and maybe you were pressured one day, and you're like, I don't know if I can make it, and I better go, and, and you went, and then afterwards, you're like, I'm so glad I went. Why? Because you got encouraged, you got built up, you were recharged in your walk with Christ, you were encouraged by one another, and it was a safe place. It takes time, though, for it to be a safe place. It's going to take meeting. This is just a kickoff these six weeks. And a lot of your groups will decide, hey, we want to keep meeting. We want to do some stuff on and beyond this. We've started to form relationships, and we don't want that to end. 
Why? Because when you're loved and when you belong, it gives you courage to become. Do you see God's progression? He's called you to be loved. He's called you to belong. That gives you and I courage to become. And so we walk in that progression. Number six, remember God is cheering me at every stage. God is for you. He loves you. Nobody shames a little baby for not talking, right? Why don't you speak in complete sentences? Nobody says that to a little baby, right? They're trying to talk. They're babbling. They're, they're going, but nobody shames a little baby for that. Nobody shames a 10-year-old for not driving unless they got caught. And then they get shamed, right? But nobody shames a 10-year-old unless you live out in the rural areas. Maybe you do drive at 10 years old. But a lot of us, particularly of my stature growing up, couldn't even reach the pedals at 10. Right? Nobody says that the time is not right yet. It's not right. God is cheering you at every stage. Don't be ashamed whatever stage you're at. This is so important. The reason we often don't become who God wants us to be and more and more in the image of Jesus is because of shame. We begin to listen to it. But here's the thing. Instead of just admitting, hey, I don't have it all together. I, I don't even know where it all is. You know, I don't even do everything right. Instead of admitting realities like that, we try to hide. We try to fake it, right? Oh, I'm in my group, and I try to fake like I'm more spiritual than I am, or I, I try to do this. I put on a mask, or I just become like a chameleon with whoever I'm with. But instead of doing that, why not just be honest? We're wasting energy that we could use toward growth because we're living in denial. We pretend. Here's what we want you to do. When you want to grow and you want to grow with others, here's what you need to do. Just be honest. Be honest with God and with yourself and with others. Will you watch this video? My name is Adrian Sackdellen. Found Sun Grove Church by a lot of trial and error, right? But a lot, of, just a lot of tra traveling in different churches when we moved to Sacramento. The, the, the great thing about this church that I found is that you read a message from the Bible and then you break it down how to apply it to our lives and the worship piece of it. And it's a big thing for me. I think the most, the most important thing for my, my wife and I, right, we know a small handful of people. Uh, what's this translating to is that my daughter needs to find people to play with, but not just any random kids, right? These are kids. These are churchgoers' kids, you know? So that's the big piece for us. So let me just give you a breakdown of like my lifestyle. Dad, my little brother died Dad became a drug addict, right? Methamphetamine to be exact. Um, he was an abusive father, right? abusive to myself, my brothers, my mother, you know, there was alcohol, different types of drugs. And that was our lifestyle, right? We grew up on top ramen, right? Um, my mom finally built up the courage to leave him. You know, this was about now I'm ninth grade, 10th grade. But for some reason, I just felt like I had to stay with my dad. So my senior year and I was in the garage doing homework because you know he like cooked meth in the house <laughs> right and I uh, was doing my homework and he told me he's like hey AJ you know, um, someone's gonna come to the garage and drop off some you know some stuff right then and there I broke down we got I got mad and you know it was bad curse words were flying everything the whole nine yards we got an argument about God. And I wasn't a church goer at the time, but he brought it up on himself. He said, you know, if God was real, why did all this stuff happen? Why am I doing this? All that stuff, right? Anyways, I didn't know how to respond to that. Um, <clears throat> I wasn't an active church goer myself, right? So he went in his room eight hours later, he threw his pipe away and he never smoked meth after that day. For me, this is all still, I can, I can call this brand new. And I tell, I tell everyone, I even tell my wife, and she even calls me out on this sometimes. She's like, man, you're only, you're only, uh, what is it? You're only a Christian on Sundays. I started with this circle on Thursdays, and that right there felt like I was a Christian on Sundays and on Thursdays, you know? <laughs> so um, I'm getting better. I'm trying to fulfill this whole week, you know, fulfill a whole week. Um, but it's still a, a little difficult, and it's still challenging. There's still challenges out there. For an example, I remember in this circle, right, we're actually pulling out our Bibles. Right? I had the Bible, and uh, someone said, flip the chapter, yada, yada, yada. And I was the first person to raise up my hand and say, hey, may sound like a dumb question, right? Very juvenile of me, right? But how do I even get there? 
that's kind of what I'm going through, but it's impacting my life in an amazing way. I'm a little more patient, right? Patient with people, patient with my children, right? I'm a little more understanding, a little more forgiving. Um, I think just some of the base of qualities that we should have as, as a person, right? I think it's actually coming out of me. I was just so judgmental, but then come to find out when, now that I'm in church and being involved in church and following the word of God, right? Some of those people that I've judged end up being the best people in my life. Awesome. Why not just be honest with yourself and with God and with others? Why not just do that? Get a chance to be able to do it and just not try to put on a mask or be fake, but just be honest. Be saying, listen, like, I don't even know how to get there. I don't even know how to drive around in the Bible. I don't even know how to find a verse. I don't know what this means. But just to be honest with where you're at, and it's a good thing. When you're ashamed, instead of trying to hide, be honest with yourself and with God and with others. You're never going to grow until you're honest with yourself, with God, and with others. So stop playing the denial game, right? Denial is not just a river in Egypt. It's what you need to go through to grow. Literally, you're wasting energy you otherwise could grow with, right? And celebrate recovery. Uh, one of the, you know, the 12 steps that people go through in recovery are really this 12 steps for growth. That's what they're for. It's being honest with myself. What's the real inventory of my life? How do I begin to, how do I get people around me? How do they cheer me on? How do I grow in these? And I walk through the 12 steps. Why? The first step is getting out of denial. Why is that so important? Because you're not going to grow unless you do. But you're going to walk through these 12 steps and it's getting real with yourself and with God and with others. Again, that's not just uh, substance type addiction. It's relationships. It's all sorts of stuff. If you have hurts in your life, if you have habits in your life, if you have hangups in your life, then something like CR is for you. And that happens for anybody here on uh, Monday nights at 7. Here's what it says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not Paul speaking. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, listen, I'm forgetting all my stuff that I did. It was really bad in the past, and it was bad for him. He was a terroristic murderer of Christians. And then he says, I, I strain forward for what is ahead. I press on for which God has called me heavenward. Where's the goal? It's I'm going to be in heaven. God's called me. I'm pressing forward. Listen, have you ever watched your kids run a race? When do you start cheering when your kids run a race? Is it when they cross the finish line and you're finally like, woo? No, you start cheering at the beginning, right? That gun goes off, and then they start running. You're like, run, 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 run. You start cheering right away. Now, what happens if you're running a race and your kid, they trip, they fall, they get up, they're embarrassed, they're in last place. They look around like, should I just stop or am I supposed to keep? What do you do at that point? You cheer louder, right? Run. You're hoping for a miracle comeback. May or may not happen, but you cheer louder. You're cheering, and I want you to understand that God is cheering you on at every step. When you stumble, when you fall, when you think, I'm destined for the bench, I'm destined for the scrap heap, God's like, no, no, get up, run, get back on the pace, begin again. I'm cheering you on. This is not a surprise to me. I'm all-knowing. I knew this was going to happen, but run. He is calling you. Number seven. Take every step with purpose. Don't waste any energy. Be disciplined. You'll have to deny yourselves many things to become like Christ. Like the Apostle Paul, we've got to be purpose-driven. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says this, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. I want you to get this picture. When they ran in those days, first century, and when they ran even in the early Olympic Games, when they would run a race, at the end of the race, would they get gold or silver or bronze? Nope. Only the winner got a wreath. You know what that wreath was? It was a wreath of leaves that would dry out. That's it. That's what the marathon runner would win. That's what the Olympic person would 
you know, written. That's why we have these circles for the Olympics. Because they were wreaths. So Paul is saying, listen, you all have this picture of what it looks like to run a race. But as a believer, I don't run for a, a, you know, a training, I mean a crown that will fade. I'm not running just for a wreath of, wreath of leaves. He's saying, I'm running for a crown that will never perish or spoil or fade. I'm straining, I'm pressing on. I don't run aimlessly. I run with intention. I have a purpose in my life. I'm doing this on purpose, for a purpose for which God called me heavenward. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. He would fight against the things that really matter. Hebrews gives us more advice in chapter 12. Verse 12, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. Make straight paths. Stick on the right path. Quit getting off on the wrong path all the time. But that we make our paths in front of us level. What's the right way as I spend time with God, as I begin to have to love, be loved by God, as I belong to the church, as I become more and more like Christ and I spend time with him, I'm making that path in front of me level. So many of us got off the level path because we were doing right, then where our discipline lacked, and we got off spending time with Jesus, and pretty soon we found ourselves on some side trail that led us to the sin that entangles. God's saying, get back on the level path. It's really hard to trip on a nice level path. It's really easy to trip on a sidewalk where the edges are lifted up, right? God's saying, make that path level. Don't be tempted by sinful ways. Don't be looking for shortcuts. Don't look for quick fixes. Stay steady. Stay on the right path. Head for the goal. If you do that, your weaknesses will be minimized. On the level path, you're less likely to stumble. Now let's be honest with each other, though. In the race of life, we are all going to walk with a limp. There are times you're going to wrestle God like Jacob did, and you're going to get your hip dislocated, and for the rest of his life, he kind of walked with a limp. It's a good picture that in our lives, there are hurts and habits and hangups in our life. There are setbacks in our life. There are difficult times, and, and it's not a guarantee that because you come to Christ, your life is easy. You and I, we're going to run. We're going to run, but we're going to run with a limp, and everybody has one. If a person tries to tell you that they don't have a limp in their life, then they're not running the race that is the real race of following Christ. We share in the sufferings of Christ because we're also going to share in his glory. You're going to run with a limp. So let me ask, what's your limp? What's your weakness? Where do you struggle? But what we think is this. If I have a limp, I can't run. I got to get rid of my limp, then I can run. And God's saying, no, 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 no. You run like everybody does, but you run with a limp. Because that's life. We have to endure. We have to walk through. We're going to have things in our life that we're going to struggle with for a long, long time. So here's the encouraging note. What's your next step? It's to realize that what I don't finish, God will. What I don't finish, God will. God's going to complete your character development one day. He's going to bring you to the finish line one day. He's going to make up all the ground that hadn't been gained one day. God is going to bring the finish line to you one day. He's going to make you perfect. You're going to be perfection. Philippians 1.6, Paul writes, being confident of this, speaking of God, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Man, what a day that will be, right? What a day, the day of Christ Jesus will be that my flaws will be gone, all my weaknesses gone, my faults gone, my blemishes gone, my fears gone, my addictions gone, my frailties gone. You will be changed into perfection. Oh, we look forward to that day. God, I won't have this tension in my life anymore between sin and righteousness. I won't have this tension between good and evil. How nice would that be, right? One of the greatest things I look forward to when it comes to heaven is that the tensions of life will be gone. Man, I'm ready for a life that doesn't get tempted. I'm ready for a life that doesn't face weaknesses. I'm ready for a body that just works. I'm ready. You know, these are the tensions that we have in life. And what we don't finish, God will. He's going to finish your character progression. He's going to do it. First John 3, 2, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what will be has not yet been made known. But we know 
that when Christ appears, we shall be what? Like him. Oh, don't you want to be like Christ? <laughs> that day will finally arrive. I'm finally like him. He's going to have, in a sense, brothers and sisters who are like him. Why? Because God completes what we were not able to. So what I don't finish in my lifetime, God will. You may have struggled in the race. We all have. You may have stumbled in the race. We all have. You may have been sign and We all have. But your race is not over, even if you run with a limp. Listen, in this family called Sun Grove Church, you are loved and you belong. And because you're loved and because you belong, you can become who God wants you to be. And we will walk with you in that. A circle that learns to be safe together and supportive of each other, they're going to help you get back up every time you fall down. You need community in your life and people to run with you. This is a place for people who want to become. As your pastor, I'm committed to helping you finish your race. That we're moving in a direction together. We're going in a common way together. It's never too late to run with Jesus and you're not too old. God says, begin right where you are right now. Just come to me. So are you ready to start running again? It's a good time. This week, make a change. This week, simplify your life. This week, spend some time with Jesus. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life. I realize that there are some in this room right now who you've never taken the first step. You, you have not yet been called to the race because you have not given your life to Jesus. You've been running your own life and you're exhausted and you're, and you're not able to really cover up all your sin and you're not really able to have freedom and forgiveness because your sin separates you from a holy God. But you realize today that Jesus died on the cross, took your sin upon himself so that you could have new life. And you receive that gift by just asking for it. And so today, if that's you, you want forgiveness for your sins, you want to walk clean before God, then you enter a relationship with him. And how you do it is you just start a conversation. So if that's you here today, then you just pray something right where you are. In your heart, God hears you. He created you. He'll hear you. You pray something like this. Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried in the grave, that you rose to new life. I ask you to make me a new creation on the inside and wash my sin as white as snow because today I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.